Hi everyone, Dr. Celine Gounder here. I'm the host of In Sickness and In Health. Poor health? It isn't random. On this podcast, we explain what exactly is making millions of Americans sick and what we can do about it. It isn't just about politicians arguing in Washington or what kind of insurance you have. Health is a symptom of something much bigger. Those are the stories we bring you season after season. This holiday season, give the gift of storytelling. Stories about our health, stories for impact. Please consider becoming a member. Go to glow.fm slash health. That's G-L-O-W dot F-M slash health, And make a contribution today. Or a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So your gift is tax deductible. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support. Now here's the show. They felt this sense of frustration after Parkland and they banded together. You know, you get punched in the gut. It hurts for a day, but then you go back and you say, okay, how do I fight back? It's been extremely rewarding to finally feel like we're moving the needle. Welcome back to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about health and social justice. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This season, we're looking at gun violence in America. When we started working on this episode, deer season was just wrapping up in Wisconsin. And that's a big deal for a lot of people. My high school shut down during hunting season because all the boys were gone. So we got 10 days off. This is Allison Volkman. She lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Allison was a fundraiser. She had her own business, and she had two young kids. Then in 2012, she and parents all over the United States heard the news coming out of Newtown, Connecticut. In Newtown, Connecticut, the site today of a mass shooting, and this time, gunfire aimed at elementary school children. Every moment, I, I hate to bring this up, but it gives me the sense of Columbine and just how massive the scope of this story is. And they started hearing some banging, and the teachers told them uh, that it was a lockdown. I was actually, I gotta say, surprised that kids knew what a lockdown was. I think that's sort of a sad statement. They'd practiced this before. Um, Well, the bodies Uh, of those children are still in the school. 18 children died in the school, were dead on the scene. Two more were taken to the hospital and died there. And then six adults... Sandy Hook happened, my eldest daughter was the same age as the children who were killed. And I just remember the overwhelming urge of wanting to go to my daughter's school and get her. And I didn't go get her. I went to pick her up at the end of the day like everyone else did. And as soon as I saw her teacher, which was a, who was a young man of not yet 30 years old, a kindergarten teacher, I could tell in his face that he knew what had happened that day. And it was just a powerful moment of realizing that my feelings about my child and being scared as a parent, that he had parents too, and that there were teachers shot, too, that day. And that sort of began my journey in becoming involved in Moms Demand Action as a volunteer and participating in the different events that they had and in writing letters and in making calls and in really jumping into that space as a volunteer. How old was, were your kids at the time of the Sandy Hook shooting? Uh Sandy Hook, my eldest was in kindergarten, and my youngest would have been not even in, you know, she would have been in preschool. 
but her kids were old enough to understand what happened in 2018 when 17 students and teachers were shot to death at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. It was her daughter's gym teacher who explained what had happened. He wanted them to be prepared in case they were in gym class, and there was a code red. They knew what code reds were. They didn't know why they were doing them. They'd never gone to school without code red drills. A code red. If you don't have kids in school or work in one, you might not know about these. At the school Allison's kids attend, a code red is an active shooter drill. My youngest, when she was in kindergarten, actually kind of injured her arm because they were pulling a teacher's desk to barricade the door for the code red drill. They didn't know it was a drill. The principal would walk around and try to open the door because you had to have the doors locked. Well, the children didn't understand that. They thought it was the bad guy trying to get into their room. So at code red drills, we would always counsel our kids and just try to make them feel safe. They were scared. Children preparing for what to do if a shooter comes to their school is the new normal all over America. My eldest, she's 13 now, but when Parkland happened, she was sick of it. And she decided to, she said, how do you get in the newspaper? And I said, oh, well, there's, you can write a letter. And then so she wrote a letter and I thought it would end there. How do you get it actually in the newspaper though, mom? And so I sat down with her at the computer and said, I've never submitted a letter to the editor. Let's figure it out. Click, click, click. We submitted it. And she was published two days later. She's had four letters to the editor published, all about gun violence prevention, with the last one ending with a threat that if the current legislation doesn't fix this problem, then she will be running for office. Wow. What's her name? Her name is Maxine Volkman, V-O-L-K-M-A-N. Wow. So she was just so brave to do that. And with my other daughter's minor injury with moving this desk, that's what really propelled me to say, if they're brave enough to do this, if they have to do this, then I can get into this. So Allison quit her job. She started working as an organizer with Doctors for America's gun violence prevention program. In this episode, we'll hear from other moms like Allison and kids who are jumping into the gun violence prevention fight like never before. We'll hear why they're taking action. Before that, sort of thought to myself, oh, that won't happen to me or my kids. Our community's really safe. What are the chances? That illusion just crumbled. We'll hear how they're organizing. And he said, well, why don't you write a bill? Why don't you write legislation? And it kind of blew my mind. And why this time, things are different. Since Parkland, I think that myth has been erased. There is no more enthusiasm gap. On this episode of In Sickness and in Health, stories of moms and kids taking action on gun reform. Hello? Hi, it's Celine Gounder calling. Is this still a good time to talk? Yes. Annalisa Dickman lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was working as a public policy researcher there when she heard the news one day. I have a daughter whose name is Aviel, and in um, 2012, she was in first grade. So when Sandy Hook happened, it felt very close to home. And then when the list of names of the victims came out, there was an Aviel, Aviel Richmond was one of the victims. And to have a daughter the same age, the same name, and where we live in Wisconsin is so similar to Newtown. It just felt 
like, you know, we were spared. Annalisa decided she wasn't going to wait for something like Sandy Hook to happen in her community. My background, my professional background is in public policy research, and I just thought I should be able to help solve what seemed to be a very solvable problem, a problem of public policy. And um, I was working full-time at the time, but within six months, I had left my job and started volunteering full-time for gun violence prevention efforts in Wisconsin. Mom's Demand Action had just started. Annalisa created the organization's Facebook page for Wisconsin. She also started working with a group called WAVE, the Wisconsin Anti-Violence Effort Educational Fund. Honestly, my house has been the messiest house um, since I started working on this. I just let go of things that used to be really important to me and I decided aren't so important anymore. Sandy Hook inspired Annalisa to take action on gun violence prevention. But it energized the gun rights movement, too. After Sandy Hook, gun laws in Wisconsin got much, much looser. Background checks, 48-hour waiting periods. All of these gun safety measures were repealed by the state legislature. In 2016, there was another bill in the state house to expand gun rights. This one would allow concealed carry on school grounds. It was so extreme that, um, and it, you know, seemed like, how do we even have a chance of fighting this? So I just started calling and emailing people and saying, did you know about this bill? She reached out to teachers and administrators, and then she reached out to parents. We basically created a toolkit that any parent could use to go to their school board and ask the school board to pass a resolution opposed to this bill and then communicate that the school board had a position and then pass the resolution, communicate that with the legislature. It was amazing to see people all across the state just really become activists in their own backyards, talking to their, you know, hyper-local elected officials about something. And those elected officials really listened and, and then communicated to their fellow elected officials in the legislature, and the legislature listened. It was exciting to see it happen, and it worked. The bill never got out of committee. When Annalisa first started volunteering for gun reform, friends told her it would be unlike anything she'd ever worked on before. It was different because the the political wisdom, the common wisdom, was held something to be true that really wasn't. And it was hard to disabuse people of that notion. They just had it so ingrained in their head that constituents are evenly split on this issue and one side is just so much more vocal and powerful than the other. And I, I could not get people to see that, that that just wasn't the case. People were pretty unified on this issue and, and unified around the need for stronger laws. At the time, they called it an enthusiasm gap Busting that myth that only one side is engaged and only one side cares and only one side votes is is how we're making progress right now. Since Parkland, I think that myth has been erased. There is no more enthusiasm gap. A few years later, on the other side of the country, in Oregon, another group was taking action. And this time it was students. Okay. Um, So my name is Penelope Spur. I am 17 years old. 
I currently live in Portland, Oregon. I have been involved in the gun violence prevention movement for about two and a half years now. I am Eli Counts. I'm a junior at Lake Ridge High School, which is in the Lake Oswego School District near Portland. Annalisa and Allison's journeys as gun violence prevention advocates started with Sandy Hook. For Penelope and Eli, that started on Valentine's Day 2018. I actually came home from school early that day. I actually had a day off that day, February 14th. I was excited to enjoy my Valentine's Day, and I turned on the news, and that's, I mean, when I hit. The situation at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, what the officials have described as a mass casualty incident. I'm subscribed to the New York Times, and I got one of those alerts. When I heard, I sat down um, a little bit numb. I just remember my eyes being glued to the screen, and, and the only snippets that I remember hearing were the increasing estimated death toll. And then I saw the alert in my inbox that said, you know, like 17... 17 dead in Parkland, and I just, I kind of felt my stomach drop. Eli and Penelope felt helpless. They felt anxious. Was their school next? But they weren't alone. In the next few days, I was kind of hyper aware of how other students were responding, and I could start to sense this kind of mass, mass motivation, mass sentiment. Then in those next few days, that's when I was talking to this mutual friend who set me up with Eli and everything started to kind of, for lack of a better word, sort of fall into place. And it kind of just sparked that fire, I guess, that has kind of kept kept me and kept um, Students for Change sort of going throughout the past two years. Students for Change was a gun violence prevention group founded by Eli, Penelope, and other students from across the Portland area. The fact that we were just doing something after that instead of being sitting ducks, I mean, that was the real fear. That's why my anxiety started to decrease was because we were going to change something to get it done. When the survivors of the Parkland shooting announced the March for Our Lives, students across the U.S. joined the more than one million protesters in Washington, D.C., by walking out of their schools demanding gun reform. Eli and Penelope wanted to do something, too. The Lake Oswego School District does walkouts at various schools for various issues. Um, And we've done them somewhat frequently in the past, and it just felt like not enough. So they aimed higher. They started a GoFundMe page, got donations from the community and students' families, they raised the funds to rent buses to take their case to the state capitol. In all, several hundred students from Eli and Penelope schools went to Salem to march, chant, and give speeches. We are the empowered youth! We are the empowered youth! Afterwards, we went into the capitol building, and that's where we, we were all sort of in the rotunda which is this big room right when you enter the Capitol building. And we all sat on the steps 
and we met with Governor Brown, a representative for Kurt Trader, who's our U.S. congressman, and our district representative, Andrea Salinas, and our district senator, Rob Wagner. There was sort of a lot of like, we love what you're doing, continue the good work. To reach out to other students across the state. It's starting here. Fight the good fight. You know, continue to use your voice. You are the generation. This is where it starts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But for Penelope, meeting lawmakers left her wondering what was backing up those words of encouragement. Aside from me just raising my voice, quote unquote, raising my voice, um, or bringing a poster and chanting, what kind of change am I actually being a part of? Like, what legislation am I actually getting passed? I started to realize that there was a lot more to the movement that I had not been as exposed to. And that was kind of the realm of legislation and policy. After the trip to Salem, the organizers of Students for Change met up at Penelope's house. The iconic house meeting. Um, <laughs> we, we were all just kind of sitting around in my living room. And it was, I think it was on a Saturday morning or something. So everyone was kind of, I guess, up, up and early. And we all kind of came together. It was totally informal. Informal, besides the state senator who dropped by, Rob Wagner. At the time, what it looked like was, how can we leave a legacy on this group and on this issue? Um, And then part of it was like, hey, what are we going to be doing all the way up into next year and the year after that? And Senator Wagner, he kind of politely interrupted our discussion. And he said, well, why don't you write a bill? Why don't you write legislation? And it kind of blew my mind. I hadn't thought about that at all because I kind of had thought of legislation as only being written and proposed by legislators themselves. So for one to tell me that I was capable of writing legislation was kind of mind-blowing for me. From there on, we, we started talking about our options. We could have proposed a ballot measure, but what we ended up deciding on was was actually writing a bill. That would be proposed several months later as SB 501. The bill the students wrote covered permit to purchase, limits on the number of guns and ammo that could be bought in a month, safe storage, limits on high-capacity magazines, and a 14-day waiting period. I, I also just want to mention one thing, that everything that was in the bill had already been passed in other states as policy. So in 2019, State Senator Rob Wagner and State Representative Andrea Salinas sponsored the bill. Eli, Penelope, and other students went to Salem again, this time to meet with the head of the state's Judiciary Committee, Senator Floyd Przanski. Przanski was one of the first meetings throughout the day, and he um, was one of the more important ones as it had to pass his, his Judiciary Committee. He, like I said, opened the meeting by immediately saying, you know, I'm not really going to support this bill. One of the words he used was toxic. Almost word for word, he said, this is the most toxic bill in any legislature right now. And it kind of stopped us in our tracks because it, it was really difficult to respond to that. There was just kind of this silence in the room. And 
for me, I was, I was, I was pretty embarrassed. I was pretty mortified and I didn't know how to respond because this was someone who was giving us a really honest response. The bill was dead on arrival. It never got out of committee. SB 501 is currently rejected. For us in the future, I think it's just continuing to make students understand that they have a voice, that they can control their environment, that they don't have to feel unsafe in school, and that they can say something if they do. I think really it's about instilling a culture um, where that's acceptable, where students feel comfortable talking about that anxiety and where they feel invigorated to, to go out and change their circumstances. You know, their bill was enormous. <laughs> this is Michelle Rome McCann. She writes children's books. Michelle also lives in Portland. I mean, if their bill got passed, we would be in such good shape because it had everything we needed in it. It was amazing. Michelle, like everyone we spoke to for this episode, was frustrated by the never-ending gun violence and inaction by lawmakers. I feel like 2012 was kind of my personal turning point when um, that was the year my kids were 9 and 11 and we were at a family reunion in Aurora, Colorado. And that was when the movie theater shooting happened. And then later that same year, um, on December 11th, we had a shooting here in Oregon where we live at the Clackamas Town Center. And that's the mall that we go to. That's where we do our Christmas shopping. And so that also shook me up. Michelle had been active in Mom's Demand Action after 2012. She also went to the Oregon State House in Salem to demand gun reform. But she was feeling frustrated with the glacial pace of change. I personally really wanted to do more, and I was struggling with, like, well, what can I do more than what, you know, anybody else is doing? Like, I don't, I'm not an expert. But I had this epiphany, which is a stupid epiphany, but I'm like, oh, I write children's books. That's what I do. I write and publish children's books. Like, I can write a children's book. And I can actually teach kids about what's going on, like, how did we get here? So Michelle wrote Enough is Enough, How Students Can Join the Fight for Gun Safety. It's part gun violence education, part political field guide. Almost every social movement began with young people, people in their teens and 20s. Shifts happen when young people get involved in these movements. So I, I don't believe the gun violence prevention movement is any different. Eli and Penelope were both featured in the book. Even though SB 501 didn't advance in the state house, Michelle says it's still an energizing example of what students can do. I feel like the the things that I've seen the legislators voting on since that happened, you know, there are pieces of their bill that are that are being pulled out and voted on. And so I I feel like for kids to hold up a model of what we wanted to ask for it and make demands about it is, is shifting things. And it is pushing politicians to make the right decisions. There's going to come a tipping point where it does go into the national arena. So yeah, that's how I feel about Eli and Penelope. They are very inspiring to me. I heard a similar story from everyone I spoke with in this episode. It was a story that started with a feeling of powerlessness. Yes, a feeling, a, a feeling of paralysis, I suppose with having young kids and having these shootings happen and not knowing what to do. I reached out to my teachers. I said, I feel a little bit hopeless, frankly. I, you know, a little bit scared for my life. 
But then that feeling started to go away when they did something, no matter how small it was. I went from feeling really frustrated and angry and helpless to actually feeling a lot more positive about everything because I was doing something for the first time. It really is as simple as saying every time I get an email from, you know, whatever group you decide to work with or maybe all of them, to say to yourself, I make a commitment. Every time I get one of those emails, I will click the link and send the email to my elected official. You know, that in and of itself makes a huge difference. I just want everybody to know that it's okay to take a small break from all of the stressors of life and to think about how you can change your environment for the better and who you can go to to help you with that because you're never alone. There's always somebody who is going to be there to help you. and. I don't want anybody to feel as hopeless as I did at one point. As we discussed in our last episode, there was, for a long time, a passion gap between the gun rights and gun violence prevention movements. For a long time, the gun rights side had a built-in advantage, having tied their cause to core ideologies and beliefs and a broader sense of values. But for these moms, Sandy Hook, And for these students, Parkland sparked something. What began as a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness transformed into energy and empowerment, a need to reclaim control over their lives and to fight for the values they hold most dear. Those badass moms and youth, they're our moral conscience challenging us to do better. In our next episode, we'll hear from veterans When it comes to knowledge of firearms, they're as expert as they come. And many are now joining the gun violence prevention fight. That's next time on In Sickness and in Health. In Sickness and in Health is brought to you by Just Human Productions. Today's episode was produced by Zach Dyer and me. Our theme music is by Alan Vest. Additional music by The Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it today. And if you haven't already done so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. You can learn more about this podcast, how to engage with us on social media, and how to become a member and support the podcast at insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. That's insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This is In Sickness and In Health.